Now, if you had lived in Jesus' day, let me tell you what you would have discovered. You would have found him saying things that made you step back and say, say, said, what? You would have stepped back and said, what did he just say? Did he really just say what I think he just said? You know, when I talk to people um, who are not church and who are not uh, Christians, I'm amazed at how many don't really know what Jesus said, the things that Jesus actually said. And, you know, if you had followed him around in his day, you would have been amazed at some of the things that he said, and some of them would have sounded fantastic and even ridiculous, would have sounded even crazy. If he wasn't really who he said he was, then many of his statements would have truly categorized him as a lunatic. Let me give you some examples. Jesus said, I'm the way, yes, and the truth, and the life. No one can get to the Father God except by means of me. Now imagine hearing that for the first time. Here you've got a guy in his young 30s, and um, you know he's, he's in decent shape. He's not a handsome man. The Bible tells us he wasn't a looker. You would not have looked at him and been drawn to him because of his good looks. He was very ordinary looking. He, he blended with the crowd. But when you heard him say something like that, you would have stepped back and said, he's got problems. Because did you catch what he just said? You can't get to God but through me. I am the way. I don't just know the way. I am the way. I don't just know the truth. I am the truth. And I can't just tell you about what the life is. I am in and of myself, the life of God. Now, at first glance, that sounds arrogant. At worst, crazy, unless it's true. Now, I know I'm preaching mainly to the choir today. Most of you know these things, but I want to give you some ammunition to answer skeptics in your world. I'm going to give you some ammunition to answer them. Because Jesus could not have been more clear as to who he was. Let me give you another example of a, of a, a really bizarre statement Jesus made. He claimed to have some kind of super water. Whoever drinks this well water, he said to a woman sitting next to a well, whoever drinks this well water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. Can you imagine how badly Ozarka would want that secret? <laughs> really, Jesus, you got water that if I drink of it, I'm never going to be thirsty again? Do tell. Give me some. It sounded kind of crazy. Or how about this one? With the, all the earnestness I possess, I tell you this, unless you are born again, you can never get into the kingdom of God. Unless you're born twice. Now, according to Jesus, if you're born once, you're dead spiritually. Born twice, you're alive. Born once, you're lost. Born twice, you're found. Born once, you're hell-bound. Born twice, you're heaven-bound. Born once, you're blind. Born twice, you have sight. Even the man who Jesus said this to was stunned by this seemingly ridiculous statement. He said, born again? What do you mean? How can an old man go back into his mother's womb and be born again? This is ridiculous, Jesus. What are you talking about? Now, Jesus, we know, was talking about the necessity of spiritual renewal, of being born twice, of having a spiritual transformation in your life. But this man 
Nicodemus, who was a teacher of the Bible, a teacher of the Old Testament in his day, he didn't understand it at all. And Jesus marveled that he didn't understand it. But listen, by far the most incredible statement that Jesus ever made easily was this one. He said, they're going to take me, they're going to kill me, they're going to torture me and then kill me. But on the third day, I'm coming back from the dead. Now, if I'm around somebody right now, and we're in a little group, and one of them says, you know, in a few days, I'm going to be, I'm going to die. And three days later, I'm coming back. I'm going to look for a phone to make that call. <laughs> he needs help, right? Can, can you imagine how this impacted the original listeners? Amen. He warned his followers. Let me quote Jesus. I will be betrayed to the chief priests and other Jewish leaders, and they're going to condemn me to die. And they will hand me over to the Roman government. And I will be mocked and crucified. And the third day... I will rise to life again. Now, I think I'm trying to picture the listeners. They're shocked, stunned. What? You're coming back from the dead? Like a zombie movie? I counted. He said this once in Matthew's gospel, three times in Mark's gospel, three times in Luke's gospel, and once in John. So eight times, Jesus openly, publicly said... They're going to kill me. They're going to crucify me. But on the third day, I'm coming back from the dead. I'm coming back. I'm coming back. I'm going to be resurrected. I'm going to be revived again. Now, you know, in our day uh, of modern medicine, we, we have heard from many people. I read an article on this pretty often of somebody who flatlines in a surgery room or flatlines in a hospital room, and because they have the right equipment there, they're able to bring them back from the dead. But guess what? The, the, the time they're gone is measured in seconds or minutes. Jesus said, I'm coming back after three days. We have people that have been dead minutes, and, and, and they tell us what they saw. I saw... A, a beautiful beckoning light, or I heard beautiful music, or I saw the faces of loved ones who have died and gone before me, and they testify of these things. But within minutes, they're back. Jesus said, not me. I'm going to be dead as dead can be for three days and nights, and after that, I'm going to suck in a breath. I'm going to sit up. I'm going to stand up, and I'm going to live forevermore. Mark tells us that he spoke this word openly. Here's what he said Jesus said. He's quoting Jesus. It's necessary, said Jesus, that the Son of Man proceed to an ordeal of suffering, be tried and found guilty by the elders, high priests, and religious scholars, be killed, and after three days, rise up alive. Now look what Mark added at the end. He said this simply and clearly so they couldn't miss it. So Jesus wasn't speaking metaphorically, poetically. He wasn't using embellishment to make a point. He said plainly, simply, straightforward, they're going to kill me. I'm going to be really dead, and I'm going to come back from the dead after three days and nights. In fact, Jesus was so open about this, it became the key reason that the Roman authorities rolled the great stone across the face of his tomb. It says after sundown, when Jesus had been crucified, the high priest and the Pharisees arranged a meeting with Pilate who had ordered his crucifixion. 
And they said, sir, we just remember that that liar, they called Jesus a liar. Can you imagine that? Jesus always opened up what he was going to say by saying, truly, truly, I say to you. But here they're calling him a liar. Say, we remember that liar announced while he was still alive. After three days, I will be raised. We've got to get that tomb sealed until the third day, they said. There's a good chance his disciples will come and steal the corpse and then go around saying, hey, he rose from the dead. Then we're going to be worse off than before the final deceit surpassing the first. Now they're so afraid of a dead man coming back. They said, we better roll a stone across that tomb to keep him in. You know, you can't keep Jesus anywhere. But watch this. The concern that the disciples would pull off this theft of Jesus' body was so strong, so great, that not only did they decide to put a heavy stone across his tomb, but Pilate said, take a guard of soldiers with you. Go make the tomb as secure as you know how. Now, a guard is the same as a squad, and a squadron of soldiers would have been anywhere from 16 to 30. So you've got 16 to 30 burly, muscular, strong, Roman soldiers, men of war, and they are posted around a dead body lest he get out. (laughs) So clearly Jesus claimed that he would rise from the dead, ladies and gentlemen, after three days, is so clear, so out there, it was universal public knowledge. Everybody knew that he had said it. Everybody knew it. Which leads me to a question for you. Think with me for a minute. This claim, I'm going to get up from the dead, put his entire reputation on the line. Everything that he had taught, everything that he had stood for, all the miracles that he had done, that he was the Messiah, the Old Testament Messiah the prophets had predicted would come. Everything was put on the line. Because he said it over and over and over again. Told his disciples, told the crowds, after three days, I'm going to be risen from the dead. I'm going to be raised. I'm coming back to life. Everything was put on the line. Everything was put on the line when he said that. Because if he gets up from the dead, he is the irrefutable, undeniable son of the living God, just like he claimed. But if he doesn't get up, He's a fraud, a scam artist, one of the worst liars to ever stain the pages of history. If he doesn't get up, everything, he put everything, all of it on the line when he said, I'm going to get up. Now I want to share with you three proofs that what Jesus claimed was true and that he did come back from the dead. The first one is the Bible testimony. Now, you may say, oh, well, the Bible. Listen, it remains the best-selling book in all the world and in all of history, the Bible. It is reliable. Let me give you the testimony of the Bible, the testimony of the holy book, the testimony of the Word of God. The Bible testifies plainly that Jesus was raised from the dead. That's the record of the Bible. We're told several women... The first Easter morn went to his tomb, and they weren't going to his tomb to see a risen Savior. They were going to his tomb to anoint him for burial, to put certain lotions on his dead body. And as they got near 
the tomb, their number one worry was, how in the world, what are we going to do about that stone? It's a huge stone. They rolled over that tomb. How in the world are we going to get rid of that stone? How are we going to get into his body to anoint him? But the Bible says, as they approached, they saw the stone had already been rolled away. For it was very large. Now remember, the sun is just starting to come up. These women have gotten up before daylight. They've gotten these anointing lotions and ointments, and they're headed to anoint the body of Jesus, and they're talking about the major obstacle they're going to have when they get there. How are we going to get in there? How will we get in there to anoint him because of that stone? But when they got there, it had been moved, rolled away to the side, and the Bible tells us that a great angel, a supernatural being, is the one that pushed it aside. This world that we're in right now, what we see, hear, taste, touch, smell, is not all there is. There is another world. There is a spiritual world. And in that world are angels, are demons. In that world lives God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Ghost, in that world is where the devil moves and operates. There is a spiritual world beyond this one we can't see, but sometimes God allows us to see it. God opens our eyes, and the Bible says in both Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all four of them record the reality of this great angelic being that these women encountered when they got to the tomb. You want to know how real it was? Matthew tells us the Roman guards, remember them, 16 to 30 of them, all saw this angel and shook for fear of him and became like dead men. In other words, they dropped to the ground. And that angel said, thank you for getting out of my way. I got something to do. And he pushed the stone away. He pushed the stone away. I know what you're thinking, but Jeff, come on. That that sounds like a fairy tale. You really don't believe that, do you? That's something out of Brothers Grimm or some children's book. I got a response for you. Here's, Here's my response. I want you to think about this. Three of the four gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, died cruel, painful deaths for preaching that Jesus rose from the dead. Three of the four. The fourth one, John, was banished to a slave island in his senior years where he lived out the rest of his time as a 90-year-old man, banished to a slave island for his testimony that Jesus was who he said he was and rose from the dead. Three of the four gave their lives for taking a stand that Jesus rose from the dead. Now, here's my proposition to you. Think, why would anybody do that for a lie? Why would you die for a lie? I'm not going to die for a lie. I like to think I would die for the truth, that God would grace me to do it. But I'm going to tell you what I'm not going to do. I'm not going to die for a lie. I'm not going to die for a made-up story. I'm not going to die for a myth. Let's think human nature. We all know human nature. Let me tell you about these men. They, they, They neither became rich nor famous for taking a stand for Jesus. They gained nothing but trouble, persecution, pain, infamy, banishment, death for their stand. 
My lifelong observation of human nature is this, that when you run across a con artist, a scam artist, they're always running their scam or running their con to either get your money or something else from you. In other words, they're doing it for personal gain. Any con artist is in it for himself. Is that not true? Have you ever known somebody to run a scam so they can enrich somebody else? No, it's always about me, myself, and I. I'm doing this con, I'm running this scam because I want your money or I want something else from you and that's the nature of cons. And I've also noticed this, when their con is exposed, they don't hang around waiting to talk to you about it. They hit the track, they look for the nearest exit door and they run for their lives to save their own skin. These men didn't. If you think they made up a story, they're not acting like cons. They don't look like cons. They're not behaving like a scam artist because they didn't get any personal gain from it. And they didn't run. They were martyred. They gave their lives, their livelihood, everything. Why would they suffer and die for a myth? And not just them, but millions through the centuries all the way up to today. Do you know there's more martyrdom happening today in our day right now than has been in a very, very long time? People are being killed somewhere in the world right now for their stand that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. Are you going to die for a lie? I'm not going to die for a lie. Come on, church. They didn't die for a lie. The very idea that they colluded together to make up a fairy tale about Jesus rising from the dead is ridiculous. They didn't die for a lie. Think about it. Think about it. Second evidence of the resurrection is the testimony of hundreds of eyewitnesses. Testimony of hundreds of eyewitnesses. Listen to what the apostle Paul wrote. Paul said, I passed on to you right from the beginning what had been told to me that Christ died for our sins as the scripture said he would and that he was buried and three days afterwards he arose from the grave just as the prophets foretold. So Paul is sharing the gospel there. Jesus died on the cross, he was buried and he got up from the dead, but he doesn't stop there. Listen to what he says next because this is powerful. He says he was seen, the resurrected Jesus. He was seen by Peter and later by the rest of the 12. And after that he was seen by more than 500 Christian brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, said Paul, as I write. Though some have died by now. Verse seven, then James saw him, and later all the apostles saw him. Last of all, I saw him too. Long after the others, as though I've been born almost too late for this. Let me read the phrases to you. He was seen. He was seen. Still alive. James saw him. I saw him. They saw him. Eyewitnesses. Now, in our day in a court of law, we all know, it only takes one eyewitness to say, I saw him or her do this or that. I saw that murder, or that assault, or that car wreck. I was right there, and it happened right in front of my eyes. I saw it. I'm testifying to you that I saw it. 
And you know what? When you have one eyewitness, it's a prosecutor's love and dream because they know an eyewitness is going to touch that jury because there is power in an eyewitness. I saw it. I was just living life, doing what I do, and suddenly this thing happened in front of me and I saw it, and I'm an eyewitness, and it rings true to a jury. Eyewitnesses to this day remain the most compelling evidence of the truth of something. I saw it. Now here we have the most compelling eyewitnesses of all. First, those who had followed him. Think about it. 24-7 for over three years. And do you know what? When Jesus was crucified, these disciples, apostles, were racked with doubt. Their dream was shattered. They thought it was all over. They thought that they had been following a fraud. The one that walked on the water, multiplied the fishes and loaves, opened blind eyes, spoke like no man ever spoke. That same Jesus seemed to have lost all control. And his end, the end on the cross, was the last thing in the world they ever expected to happen. They were blown away and filled with doubt. It's them that later said, we saw him, we ate with him, we conversed with him, we watched him go back up into heaven. Thomas said, I put my hand in his side and in the wounds in his hand. I touched him, heard him, ate with him, sat with him, 40 days, 40 nights, over 500 people saw the risen Christ. Eyewitnesses. And many of those witnesses ended up giving their own lives, their livelihood, their jobs, everything to take a stand that Jesus Christ was who he said he was and that he had risen from the dead. And I got to talk for a minute just about Paul because Paul is one of the most amazing. Paul who used to be Saul. Do you know that when Paul was Saul, he was a Pharisee and he hated Christianity. He hated Christ and he hated Christians and he attacked them. He murdered them. He imprisoned them. He tore families apart. He was, he wrought havoc on the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. But that Saul who became Paul, who was the sworn enemy of Jesus said, last of all, I saw him too. I saw him. I'm an eyewitness. I saw him. I saw the risen savior. No court on earth would even consider questioning the eyewitness testimony of over 500 people who saw it precisely the same thing. They saw the same thing. What did they see? The risen Jesus, risen from the dead. He who was dead had come back to life. And that is the core, the bullseye, the crux of Christianity. If Jesus doesn't get up, let's all go home and watch reruns of Andy Griffith. It's over. There's no eternal life. But Paul said, yet now, he is risen. He's risen from the dead. No wonder Luke wrote, during the 40 days after his crucifixion, he appeared to the apostles from time to time actually alive and proved to them indisputably that it was really he himself they were seeing. I'm so glad to know he's alive 
And you know what? The one that rose from the dead is also coming back. Amen. Amen. So say with me, the Bible says he arose. Eyewitnesses said he arose. But then there's the testimony of countless changed lives. It'd be impossible. It would really be impossible to go back through history, through 21 centuries since Jesus died, was buried, and rose from the dead, and count all the people that he has transformed. But can I tell you that Jesus is a heart changer, a life changer. He changes hearts and he changes lives. He's not into rehabilitation. He's into transformation. He doesn't rehabilitate you. He changes you. He gives you a heart transplant. He goes into your life and changes who you are and changes your motivations and changes your goals and your desires. He totally, salvation is an inside job. Listen to what Paul witnessed in his own day. Paul said, don't fool yourselves. Those who live immoral lives, who are idol worshipers, adulterers, or homosexuals will have no share in his kingdom. Neither will thieves or greedy people, drunkards, slanderers, or robbers. Now, he's talking to church people here. This is to the Corinthians. This letter is to the Corinthians. So he says, adulterers, homosexuals, immoral people, thieves, greedy, drunkards, slanderers, and robbers aren't going to inherit the kingdom of God. But look at what he says next. There was a time, there was a time when some of you were just like that. But the operative word is were. But now your sins are washed away and you are set apart for God. And he has accepted you because of what the Lord Jesus Christ and the spirit of our God has done for you. Do you hear what Paul is saying? You used to be this way, but now you're this way. What happened? Not rehabilitation, not a new year's resolution, but Jesus Christ came into your heart and made you a brand new person. And that's why the way you were is not the way you are. You are the way you are because of the transforming power of Jesus Christ. I love, I love this verse. When someone becomes a Christian, he becomes a brand new person inside. Can I read that again? When someone becomes a Christian, he becomes a brand new person inside. He's not the same anymore. A new life has begun. Let me give you a quick testimony. You saw all these people up here holding cards. I was a drug addict. I was a drug dealer. I was a, you know, I, I, all these different sins. And then they're showing the other side of the card and what God has done with them. So let me tell you mine. I wasn't raised in the church. I wasn't raised in anything but secularism. And so I never heard the name of Jesus, never heard John 3, 16, never heard the gospel. And so I gravitated to drugs and I got into drugs and I was looking for a spiritual, a spiritual peace and a spiritual high. I can look back and see what I was really looking for is what the Holy Spirit gives to me now. But I didn't know any better. Never heard the name of Jesus. Never knew nothing about Christianity. So I went whole hog into it. I totally sold out to drugs. I really did. And I went into the drug life. And eventually I began to sell a little bit. I know you can't believe what I'm saying. Pastor Jeff, don't tell me this. I could show you pictures. You'd never come back. Sir, oh yeah, I was a freaky freak. I was a hippie freak. Now, watch this. One day, a cop car drives up to me and says, Jeff Wickwire? I said, yes, sir. You know, Mr. Angel Innocent? Yes, sir. He said, get in. I said, why do I have to get in? I'll tell you at the station. 
took me to the station, walked in and said, you're being arrested for sale of narcotics. And turned out they had put a narcotics officer in our midst, and he came to me one day asking me for some, and I sold it, and they had me. Now watch this. They took my picture front ways and sideways with the numbers, took me to juvenile home. I was 16, took me to juvenile home, locked me in a cell. And I remember sitting in that cell, looking out the window, there was a little window you could look outside and I'm looking and I'm saying this to myself, Jeff, what's wrong with you? Why are you always getting in trouble? Why are you always on the other side of the law? Why are you always breaking your parents' heart? Why are you always destroying your future and self-destructing? What's with you? What's wrong with me? What I didn't know is there was a God watching, looking down. Now watch this. And he knew he had sent his son to die for me. And he knew that his son had risen from the dead so I could be raised to walk in newness of life. But I didn't know it yet. But God was really saying, hang on. You're about to experience a real change. Now, two, about two or three nights later, one of the guards came knocking on my door. said, hey, Wickwire, you want to come and hear some people talk to you about Christianity? I'm telling you, God knows. I didn't even know what that meant. All I knew about Jesus was the famous Top 40 song, Jesus Christ Superstar, Are You Really Who They Say You Are? I'd heard that on the radio. And that's all I knew about Jesus. Oh, that one, Jesus Christ Superstar. But I would have gone to listen to Howdy Doody to get out of that cell. So I went, and they sat about 50 of us down. I'll never forget it. I had an olive green T-shirt. Oh, yeah, bell-bottom blue jeans, tennis shoes, long, stringy hair, way down, scared to death, full of anger, full of rage, full of confusion, and I remember he just stood up. He looked like Clark Kent. He looked just like Clark Kent. He had on black frame glasses, hair was slicked back, and he had on gasp a suit with a tie. Oh. And I remember thinking, oh, man, I got to listen to this guy. And he got up and said, God so loved the world. He gave his only begotten son that whoever believes on him will not perish but have everlasting life. First time I'd ever heard that. And then he expounded on the verse a little bit. And I was captivated. I'm tuned in. I'm homed in. I'm hanging on every word. When he was finished, he said, now, any of you boys, about 50 of us there, any of you boys want to come receive Christ? I'm inviting you down. No one went. And I had a voice on each shoulder. Over here, the voice said, if you get up, you're going to make a fool of yourself. If you get up, they're going to mock you and ridicule you, and you know you can't stick with something like this. You're not religious. The voice was going on and on, but over here, there was another one. And it said, God really did so love the world. He gave his only begotten son. And Jeff, if you respond, I'm going to change your life. There is hope in what you just heard. Well, in the meantime, no one came. So they were putting their guitars up, the three young people he had brought with him who had sang some songs, and they're walking out. And I saw he's leaving. And next thing I know, I'm standing behind him. He turned around. He said, can I help you? I said this, sir, I would like to. And that's all I got out. I started bawling like a baby. He grabbed me and he took me into another room, sat me down, and I was racked with sobs. I remember sobbing so hard, my shoulders were shaking. 
I didn't understand the ministry of the Holy Spirit, that he knew my fears, he knew my anger, he knew my rage, he knew my lostness. He loved me just like I was. And when I was all done, he said, do you want to pray? And I said, sir, I've never prayed in my life. And that's the truth. I had never once prayed to a God. 16. He said, I'll lead you in a prayer. I said, okay. He took my hands. I bowed my head. Jesus, forgive me. I know that I have sinned, not just because I'm in jail, but because I broke your word. I know he led me this way. I said, forgive me and come into my heart. And something happened. I lifted up my eyes, and this dingy green jail cell looked pretty. It was like a huge weight had been lifted off of me. I said to the guard, I said, hey, would you leave my light on so that when I go back to my room, I can, I can read this Bible he, he gave me? Okay, he left it on. I went through that little striped New Testament, good news for modern man. I'm going through it. I read Jesus walking on water. I read the Sermon on the Mount. I read the things he did and said. I looked up that night and I said, Jesus, if you can make anything in the mess I've made of my life, I give it to you. Dangerous prayer. (laughs) Because right then and there, he laid his hand on me and he called me. You know why I'm up here today? This was not a career choice for me. This was a God choice for me. God laid his hand on me and changed me. So I got my own card for you today. Let let me tell you something before I show you this. This is going to blow your mind. Last night, two women came up to me after church, and one of them stood right here. One of them looked at me and said, Jeff, do you remember me? I thought, "Uh uh-oh. I said, no. She said, you used to be my drug dealer. (laughs) I staggered back. I said, what? And she said, I was in your high school with you before you were gone, and I used to come to you for my stuff because you had good stuff. But she said, watch this, she said, I'm driving down the highway one day, going to work early in the morning, and I'm going across the radio dial, and I hear a voice, and I hear somebody teaching the Bible. She said, I stopped, and I started listening. I said, he's pretty good. So I started listening every day. But I had to get out of my car before the program was over. One day, I was in it when it was over, and I heard Jeff Wickwire. She said, I said to myself, it can't be. It can't be him. But, there, but that's a very uncommon name. So she went to the website, started looking through the Internet, and said, oh, my Lord, that's Jeff Wickwire, who I used to buy my drugs from. <laughs> I'm sitting here. The room is spinning now. And I said, she said, she said, I'm Jewish. And now I'm a completed Jew. And she said, I've been listening to you every morning for years. But I said to my friend, we got to get up and go to that church tomorrow night. I got to go tell him who I am and what has become of me and how he used to push drugs my way. Now he's been pushing Jesus my way all these years. Can you believe that? Man. 
Isn't that something else? Yeah. So here's mine. Ready? <laughs> but it's the truth. Stand up, everybody. I'm done. It's the truth. And she said, Jeff, I realized years ago listening to you that God had done a miracle in your heart and life. And he, she said he did it to me too. And so thank, thank you, she said to me, for ministering the word of God to me all these years. They came all the way from Plano, and the friend she brought with her responded to the invitation. Isn't that something? Now, I got to tell you, that's a first for me. I have never had anybody appear from that far back. So last time I saw her, I was 16. God can change anybody's heart. He can change yours. So I'm going to ask us to bow for a moment of prayer, can we? Jesus, I just thank you today. You're the heart transformer. You change our hearts. Thank you, Lord, for your goodness and blessing. Now, if you need Jesus in your heart today, I'm going to ask you, if you've got a question mark, do I know him? Do I really know him? Do I know him like Jeff has come to know him? Or am I not certain? You can leave today absolutely sure. He's as close as a prayer. I'm going to pray a simple prayer. And you can do it. You can pray it with me. Remember, I'd never prayed when I prayed to receive Christ. I'd never prayed. But I had the faith I needed. So pray right now if that's you. Go ahead and let the Lord touch your heart this Easter 2017. Let God touch you. Say with me, Lord Jesus, I believe you died for me and rose from the dead so that I could be saved. I ask you to come into my heart. Go ahead, you can pray it. You can pray it. He's not going to hurt you. He's going to heal you. Say, come into my heart and be my Savior and Lord. In Jesus' name, I pray.